0: A warm Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. And I don't know if there's a topic that's more uh, hot right now in culture than gender and gender confusion. And I think it's time today that we sort that out and restore God's image in an age of gender confusion. And my guest who's going to help us do that is, is Dr. Bob Moeller. He's been on the show many times in the past, and he has got the deaf touch when it comes to Taking us through the journey. I'm awfully glad he's willing to do it and uh, so nice to have him back on the show again. Bob, welcome.
2: Thank you so much, Bill.
0: Yeah. So this is a difficult topic for sure and it's a topic that everybody is being confronted with and some of us are just shocked about its popularity in the news.
2: Yeah, it sort of came out of nowhere if you're looking in the last two or three years. um, The um, acceleration and intensity of the issue, I think, has caught a lot of people off guard, and the church included. And, you know, they're, we've been struggling exactly how do we respond to this. Um, uh, several years ago, in fact, it was in the 90s, I believe, the University of Chicago did a study called uh, Sex in America, uh, uh, a survey, uh, surveyed 3,400 4- individuals nationwide to try and make a correct random sampling and they asked various questions they interviewed people for two or three hours and you know um, gender uh, preference or uh, sexual identity those questions came up and the the figures at that time uh, were that about two and a half percent of the population identified males as gay about a percent and a half maybe a little less as lesbian and a very very uh minuscule amount percentage if i recall correctly certainly less than one percent maybe even uh less than you know uh, only a percentage of one percent identified as um, transsexual or um you know trans as we would call it today and that was 30 years ago and mm-hmm. yet today if you you know listen to the media you would assume that uh It's a significant portion of our population, particularly among young people, you know, 10%, 15, 20, 30. So something's happened uh, in the last few years um, that breaks with the data we've had in the past. And that's perhaps another discussion, but I think that's one reason why it has kind of caught people off guard.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Bob, maybe we can start with uh, God's perspective and maybe go to Genesis chapter 2.
2: Yes. You know, uh, let let me just read this to you, because this passage, particularly part of it, uh, Bill, is repeated three times in Scripture, which is rare that any portion of Scripture is repeated over and over and over again. But in Genesis 2, Matthew 19, uh, Moses writes this in uh, Genesis. Jesus says this, repeats it in Matthew 19 and Paul in Ephesians 5. That usually means we need to really pay attention to this if it's in the law, the gospels, and the the epistles. Here's what uh, the context is. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So uh, the creation narrative defines two genders, male and female, uh, man and woman, And it explicitly says that they are, uh, as the scriptures go on, uh, that they're made in the image of God elsewhere in Genesis. In his image, he made them male and female. So really, there's two issues to address. Um, How should we help our children understand God's plan for their gender identity? And what is the real issue at stake? in Mm. this debate? What is the real issue at stake? And those are the two things I'd like to discuss.
0: That'd be awesome. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest, and we're talking about restoring God's image in an age of gender confusion. So let's tackle these one at a time, Bob. How should we help our children and grandchildren understand their gender identity?
2: Well, let's look at currently uh, what is being said in our culture, what our children are being confronted with. Uh, our children are now being taught that gender identity is a matter of choice. Our biological gender is not necessarily related to our sexual identity. Um, what you are born with uh, XX or XY chromosome does not necessarily or no longer defines your gender, gender identity. And therefore, children should be given the right to choose their own gender and what they identify as. Surgical hormonal transformation, uh, our culture, some at least in our culture argue, is every child's right to choose. Uh, Parents, in many cases, should have little or no say over a child's sexual preference or identity, but should rather support whatever conclusion they come to. Therefore, the designations of male and female no longer necessarily apply. Boys that identify as girls, girls that identify as boys, therefore, should be given access to all sports, restrooms, locker rooms, dormitories, whatever, based on preferred identity. And uh, children who struggle with their gender identity do so because they were actually born in the wrong body. Uh, They have a different identity than what their uh, biological body presents them. And allowing children to affirm whatever identity they may choose is many have referred to as the new civil rights issue hmm. of our time. So that is, in summary, uh, what our culture is currently teaching our children. It's stunning. Uh, yes, it's, uh, it is um, no less than incredible yeah. that, um, that many hold these positions. And that are advocating that our children uh, be allowed to make those kinds of choices. It is interesting that one study uh, showed that children who struggle somewhat with their what's called gender dysphoria um, in their pre adolescent years, once they go through puberty, somewhere close to 90% of them or more are actually uh, at peace with their uh, biological gender as they were born in other words the confusion if it exists exists often prior to uh, adolescence mm-hmm. and then after adolescence it sorts itself out so i think that would possibly make one argue you ought to at least wait until adolescence is, is over until you you know make a life-altering decision mm-hmm. um, and i'm just wondering you know bill if we could talk a little bit about some of the causes of gender dysphoria
0: um I would love to do that. Dr. Bob Mueller is my guest. Bob, maybe we can, you know, maybe the question I can ask is, what is the real issue at stake here?
2: Well, the real issue at stake is one of authority. Um, who has the right to define our gender identity? Who should have the final say? Should our culture, should the experts, um, should, should children? Or does that authority belong to our Creator God, as revealed in the Scripture? Um, At the end of the day, you know, arguments can be made, and they are, for different people to have the final say. But as believers, we go back to our confidence in the inherent, inspired Word of God as our standard for life and practice, Mm -hmm. and what the Scriptures teach uh, from Genesis to Revelation is that there are only two genders, male and female. Um, I've read some people argue that there's up to 72 different genders today. And, you know, um, that may be just a starting place. But scripture would not support that. In Genesis, it says that in the image of God, he made the male and female. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, that is upheld as... Um, God's perspective on marriage and uh, his perspective on morality and 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 then you get into the New Testament in Matthew 19 and Jesus speaks of marriage and divorce and goes to the issue of identity again of male and female and of course he blessed that with his presence at the Tina of Galilee where he uh, blessed his very first miracle in fact was at a wedding and it was between a man and a woman and of course Uh, And this, I think, um, Bill, gets to the issue of maybe in the spiritual world what's going on. Why, of course, there's cultural, political, social issues at work. But as believers, we have to believe when there's ever a major upheaval in society, that spiritual forces may be at work. See Ephesians 5, which quotes the uh, man leaves his father and mother be united to his wife. Paul says, I tell you a mystery. And a mystery is something only God knows, but he's willing to share with us. And the mystery is, he said, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And this is where I think, as Christians, we need to understand what's at stake, is that gender identity, male and female, husband and wife, are critical to understanding and defining the relationship between Christ and the church. That ultimately, God created marriage. And indeed, I think the differences between male and female, ultimately to point to Christ and the church. Um, And that if you obscure the differences between male and female, you obscure the picture of Christ and the church. And when you obscure those differences, um, chaos, social chaos, moral chaos, spiritual chaos is bound to follow and uh, so i think we have to realize that preserving this is essential to preserving uh from a biblical standpoint why marriage exists why there's not going to be marriage in heaven because it will have accomplished its purpose here on earth of pointing to christ's love for the church and the church's honor for christ um let me give you an example of chaos we have friends that uh, have a relative working in a school here in the Chicago area as a custodian in the um, cafeteria. And he cleans up after the kids. Well, high school kids and cafeterias, the notoriously, and, you know, stuff to pick up afterwards. There was when I was in high school. But lately, he's had to stay longer because he has to pick up food and liquid and other things that are on the floor. And the reason is, is that several young people there now identify as an animal, as a dog or as a wolf or something else. And they eat off the floor. Hmm. They eat out of bowls. They eat their food, you know, down on all fours. Hmm. Hmm. And so the chaos is not just between genders now, but between species <laughs> in some cases. Yeah. So that's what happens when... You know, you abandon the Word of God is ultimately your test.
0: Yeah, take a break. My guest is Dr. Bob Moeller, and we're talking today about restoring God's image in an age of gender confusion. I'm going to take a break, and we come back uh, more with uh, Bob Bob Moeller. But if you have a question, or maybe you heard something you want clarification on, the text line is open eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Hey, it's the end of the year, and you are absolutely amazing in your generosity. Thank you so much. If you've not made a gift to Faith Radio, we would love it. You can do that at myfaithradio.com. Thank you so much.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: Rosie, I have to say that's very soothing violin bumper music you chose to play.
1: I think we kind of needed it.
0: Oh, did we ever? Yeah. That last story that uh, Bob Moeller gave about kids in schools trying to pretend they're animals or a wolf or a dog eating out of a bowl, creating mess was, oh, what's happened?
1: It's it's beyond me. And I'm thinking of the adults, you know, in the classrooms and in the cafeterias and you know, the responsibility for our generation as adults to be that, um, those points of reason for kids as they're testing on things, I think we are going to pay a heavy price when we see Jesus one day.
0: Mm. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest. You can go learn more about him at forkeepsministries.com, forkeepsministries.com. All right, Bob, let's talk about some of the issues surrounding gender, gender identity. I know we touched on it briefly, but the the world is starting to teach that gender identity is just a choice. It's a matter of what you pick.
2: Again, if we're going to look at the issue of, of Scripture, you know, God's plan, it, it only defines two genders. They are male and female, and it is intended to be the basis of marriage, which becomes the foundation of society as well. And indeed, the Church is even described as the bride of Christ in a female mm-hmm. sense, and Jesus, of course, as the one who laid down his life for his bride. And so we don't have any confusion when it comes to the Word of God. But when we change the the North Star, the fixed point of our authority in life, and it becomes what's on TikTok or what's trending on the Internet or what the latest conference or university uh, study has found – Well, then it opens the door to so many, many different things, which is creating a a great deal of tragic confusion in the lives of our young people. You know, there's three common reasons why gender dysphoria occurs. There may be more, but one is children. Often, uh, some children find themselves drawn to activities that are typically attractive to the other sex. Someone may like to play with trucks instead of playing with dolls. You know, someone may choose to do that or that. Uh, Some boys are born a more sensitive male. Some girls are born more of a tomboy. And our culture used to look at that and say, well, yeah, um, they're different in that regard, but they're still a male and they're still a female. Where today uh, we're saying, no, actually, they were born in the wrong body that their body needs to catch up with their psychology. We used to say their psychology needed to adapt to their body, but now we've kind of reversed that. Mm. But, you know, the sensitive boy and the tomboy girl are still within God's plan. It still doesn't mean that they're, you know, that negates the gender that they were born. It just means that within that gender, um, there may be a spectrum. If people that are more sensitive or maybe typically more masculine in that sense, rather than the fact that they need to now choose or replace their gender. Uh, Another contributing factor is when a child fails to identify with the parent of their same sex, that somehow a boy just doesn't identify with his father or a girl with his mother. There's a variety of reasons why that may occur, but the child ends up not feeling accepted by that same sex parent and they reason that if they were the opposite sex, then they would be accepted. And the result is they start emotionally identifying with the opposite sex and hoping that they would be accepted. And that may even lead to them dressing and acting like the sex that they wish they were. Well, again, it's not that they were born in the wrong body. is that the relationship with their parent needs to be resolved. There's something there that, that needs to be worked out and needs to be a matter of compassion and understanding. and communication and caring. And and the third factor, which I think is really the biggest that's at work here is what we call social contagion. <laughs> it's just a contagious fad. It's a contagious idea. And teenagers, adolescents are famous for adapting or adopting, you know, something of a rebellious attitude, something of a new trend. Um, I think back in the 60s when it, it was considered, you know. Uh, outside the box or edgy to grow long hair started with the Beatles, and then it moved into all sorts of things, uh, rock and roll, and, and then it went into drugs and it went into other things, and you know it it was very popular. And you know in high school, if someone was doing this, you could get caught up in it uh, because there was a social contagion aspect to this. What's different now is that the choices some teenagers are making are irreversible. Mm-hmm. We could grow out of the era, you know, of, of being a hippie or, you know, doing something else, you know, wh- whatever it was. Um, but this this is life altering. And this is something that can't be reversed in many cases. You see, uh, I think today, particularly for girls, um, there is a strong social contagion. They're showing the trans movement is much more attractive to teenage girls than it is to boys, but serious family dysfunction, child abuse, sexual trauma in their past can increase the old idea that, hey, if I just had a different body, uh, a different pronoun, my life would be different and the pain in my past could be erased. Uh, the need for social acceptance, group identity, emotional connectedness, um, add to them the influence of major social media. Which celebrates and advocates this and presents it. And you have a formula for kids signing on to something where they really don't understand the long term consequences of it and the fact it may be irreversible. And that's where you need adults in the room. <laughs> that's where you need people who care, at least till age 18. I don't know that, I don't believe any child should have the right to make that kind of transition um, through surgery and everything else because. Uh, 10 years later, 20 years later, they're going to look back and say, already some who've done so are asking, what did I do?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't buy alcohol. You can't get a tattoo. There's so many things you can't do until you become a certain age. How is it that they would allow children to go through these horrific surgeries that are irreversible when they are so young?
2: You know, you're making a good point. Why do we deny children the right to vote? till they're 18, or to get married or join the military. And the argument is always, well, they're not emotionally, physically, mentally prepared to do so. Mm -hmm. So why are we giving them the right to make life-altering, irreversible choices? And some say, well, it's to avoid the, you know, depression and possible suicide. But yet there's a good deal of data that suggests that those who undergo this transition have anywhere from a 17 to 20 times more likelihood of committing suicide Mm -hmm. than if they had not undergone this.
0: Yeah, and Bob, the ability of children to rebel against their parents knows no limit. So whatever is being brought into the social environment of the day is things that I think kids will gravitate to. Yeah, exactly.
2: I I think that the natural, you know, you, you go through three stages in life. You know, developmental uh, psychologists say you start in a dependent stage, where as a child, you're dependent on your parents to be fed and to be cared for, to just survive. And then you move into adolescence, where you move into the independent stage. You're starting to create a, a psychological separation, social separation to some degree, defining yourself as an individual apart from your family but there's a third stage mm-hmm. which is vital and that's the interdependent stage where we realize that we can't be entirely independent and we have to have an interdependence in yeah. order to be healthy but this whole movement toward the trans locks people into the um, independent stage.
0: Yeah, let's pick that up after the break. Dr. Bob Mueller is my guest and we are uh, discussing, if you just joined us, um, We are talking about uh, gender confusion and restoring God's image in an age of gender confusion. If you have a question or comment, you're free to text it over to 877-933-2484. You can learn about Bob at 4KeepsMinistries.com. Again, that's 4KeepsMinistries.com. Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Join us for our Reading the Bible Together Advent Study. Sign up at MyFaithRadio.com.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
3: Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold.
0: All right. We're talking to Dr. Bob Moeller today about restoring God's image in an age of gender confusion. And, Bob, I know when you had made a reference to that school that had the janitor that was doing extra cleanup because there were kids who thought they were, uh, you know, dogs. I got a couple of comments from listeners. One was dogs don't eat crumbs on the floor. They should be told that they have to pick up each morsel just the way a dog would. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's nothing a dog doesn't leave on the floor. And then another listener said, uh, Is the state required to educate any other species besides Homo sapiens? Well, that's a good question if as a, well. Yeah, if a child identifies as an animal, is the public school really obligated to educate them? That
2: is a good question. If perhaps some people have seen the uh, video, What is a Woman, that was produced I, by Matt Walsh. I've seen that. Yeah, and you notice in that uh, video, they interview a. Uh, what was born a woman who believes she's a she-wolf and, um, she actually identifies as a she-wolf and howls for the camera. And so this isn't as, um, it isn't as eccentric or as unusual as it sounds. It's kind of the natural outworking sure. of, of this whole philosophy that we can choose to be, uh, whoever we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: So before we jump back in, another question. Do you have any exhortations or encouragement toward pastors regarding this topic? I know pastors have a hard enough job as it is, but I think there is much encouragement in preaching the truth on this issue.
2: Well, yes, I want to encourage pastors to tackle this issue head on. Um, The spirit in which you do it is all important, of course. There's a principle in our marriage ministry where we deal with people who come from a lot of family pain, trauma, dysfunction, abuse, that you have to care about their pain uh, before you deal with their sin. Now, it's not one or the other. It's a matter of priority. Now, some people step back and say, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Look at the Gospels. When Jesus sat down with the woman at the well who had been involved in five divorces and all these uh, immoral relationships, or Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, he first cared about their pain, and that led them into a discussion of their sin uh, romans two four is very important in this case it's uh, paul says, and um, do you not know that it is uh, do you not realize that it is god 's kindness that leads you to repentance? And I think for pastors to preach this, we have to come at it from that standpoint. Well, we need to clearly state God's standard of male and female and his eternal plan and that there are no other uh, genders, but we need to understand why people are drawn to this, why individuals are being caught up in it, why certain children and teenagers are attracted to this. And that takes me to believe that there is a great deal of pain going on in the lives of young people particularly who are seeking you know these transitions many times they come from broken homes they come from other forms of abuse or trauma or they've known a great deal of rejection the answer is not to change their body you know chemically or surgically or whatever it's to heal their heart and i think pastors need To preach on this with conviction and without apology, but understand that the appeal of it, besides the social contagion and the teenage attraction to rebellion and what's the latest fad, uh, you know, trending on on media, is that generally speaking, it's kids that are hurting. Mm -hmm. It's individuals that have pain in their life. And I really believe that um, we need to approach it. You know, first and foremost, by sharing the life-changing message of the gospel. What does the gospel say? That our new identity is in Jesus Christ. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. If anyone, you know, is in Christ, they are a new creation. And I think we have to stress that identity comes from our relationship to Christ, first and foremost. That's our eternal identity. That's an identity that's unshakable. That's an identity that can bring healing to our hearts and free us from the past, regardless of what we may have been through
0: um, and what may have brought us to this point. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest. We're talking about uh, gender today. Uh, very thoughtful uh, discussion, Bob, and a lot of people are chiming in with questions. And this one, uh, if you don't mind, is uh, according to modern psychology, uh, really is a man or what is a man or a woman? Is there any objective basis for defining those terms? And I think we did a nice job of that talking about Genesis. Yes,
2: um, you know, it begins with the fact that God creates our bodies as distinctly different men and women, uh, male and female, and that, you know, that's an objective difference. It's a physical difference. There's also you know, as, as we, you know, study this, there seems to be, um, well, at least in the marriage realm I've been in, there are certain things that seem to be uniquely female and uniquely male. Uh, men tend to be, for example, linear in their thinking, women more global. Um, communication, women seem to be able to connect their emotions and their words. Men struggle, you know, to do that. In the same way, and there are reasons why, but I think if you want to look at objectively you know the male for example, you would look at uh Christ and um his uh his traits you know his um, uh, what he showed in terms of um, uh, his his uh, leadership spiritual leadership, his submission to god his um compassion, his provision for others. And then you um, can look at examples of godly women throughout Scripture. If, for example, you want to have more definition to that, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 has been very instructive to me, and I don't know whether this fits in the category of modern psychology or not, but in Scripture, um, Paul actually defines a father, which would be a male, and a mother, a female, and some of their characteristics. Let me turn to First Thessalonians 2, if I can. Yes, please. And, and uh, here's what he says. Let me see. I'm just flipping.
0: I love the sound of a Bible's pages turning. <laughs> so don't worry, Bob. You've got that's music okay. to my ears. All right.
2: This challenged
0: me some time ago
2: when I read this, because as a father, I want to know biblically and as a man, what does God expect of me? What should characterize me? And as a, as a woman, as a mother, what should characterize you? Well, Scripture gives us some, some very strong indications. As apostles of Christ, I'm in 1 Thessalonians 2.6. We could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. She was saying, he's saying that there is a gentleness to the female spirit. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. A sense of, of intimacy and sharing of one's heart with those that they love. We were delighted to share with you because you'd become so dear to us. And again, there is something unique about a mother's love for a child and how dear they are uh, their entire life. Surely remember our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day not to be a burden, and the sacrificial spirit often of uh, mothers for their children, toiling long into the night and during the day, and Proverbs 31 seems to reinforce that. Then we get to men. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. You know the the sense of integrity, and again, godliness, spiritual leadership. For you know that we dealt with you as each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, Three it is. Characteristics of a father is encouragement, comfort, and exhortation or motivation urging our children on. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the Bible leaves us uh, blind when it comes to the roles of men and women, or at least, you know, what ought to characterize our hearts.
0: Mm-hmm. And Bob, we're living in a, in a day right now where we have word bombs and name-calling to try to cause as much personal damage as possible. So you'll hear things like, um, isn't it hateful to deny children the right to choose their own gender?
2: Right. I I think maybe the most abused word in the English language today is hate. Um, There was a time where hate meant uh, a determined animus towards someone, a a hostility towards someone that uh, even even to the point of their destruction or or ruin uh, to do violence. And, And we've we've dumbed down the meaning of hate to someone who just disagrees with us. It's <laughs> so true. And teaches a different perspective. And I think that really does everybody a disservice because if hate can mean everything and then it means nothing, uh, once you apply it to everyone, what does it mean any longer? But let's just take the fact that is it is it hateful or uh, to deny a child the right to choose their own gender? Well, let me ask you this question. I think answering that with a question is the best way to address this. Is it hateful or loving to protect a child until they can become an adult and make their own mature decisions? Oh, I like that. Is that hateful or is that loving? For those that say it's hateful, will you give the keys to your car to your nine-year-old? Uh, will you allow your 12-year-old
0: to join the Marines? Um, For some, the parents would say yes well all right but uh, the nine-year-old with the car
2: no yeah the practical consequences are no
3: yeah
2: um is it hateful or loving to help someone who's being deceived if you know that someone is being told something that isn't the truth is it hateful or loving to point out that it's just simply not true um again most of the time in our society, uh, it has been recognized as a kind or a compassionate thing to tell someone if they were being deceived by someone. Uh, for example, if someone is calling you, you know, on the phone and saying, you know, your grandmother's been kidnapped and you have to send so much money to this bank account or Uh, You know, all these these phone bank and scams that go on internationally. Is it loving or or, or hateful to say, no, don't send money? That's a deception. This this, this isn't a real situation. Mm -hmm. You know, this is set up to defraud you. Um, Is it hateful or is it loving? And so in the same way, to deceive children into believing that they are born in the wrong body and they will find happiness and fulfillment by... By changing that, uh, well, what if that's really not the truth? And again, the data suggests that the depression and rates of suicide and other things are horrendous for those who do that. Mm -hmm. If you listen to the video, what is a woman where they talk to some people who made this transition 10 or 15 years ago and now deeply regret it and are angry at those that encourage them to do so. Uh, Not everyone may agree, but it appears that there may be deception at work. Is it hateful or loving? And this comes to ours, uh, again, back to pastors and our roles as leaders. Is it hateful or loving to warn people of choices that will take them farther from God rather than closer to him? You know, um, one of the arguments I have is that, uh, you know, sin will always take us farther from God. Mm -hmm. And obedience will always bring us closer to him and to know him and to experience in in our lives. Is that hateful to point that out? That I want you to know God and I want you to know his love. I want you to have a relationship that is personal, vital, eternal, as opposed to one that could take you further and further from your knowledge of God and an experience of him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Is that is that hateful or, or loving? So I,
0: I just ask the question. Bob, I had this thought as well, because a lot of the schools now, they want some of this information to be kept from the parents. There was that uh, teacher in Kansas who was instructed to use the trans uh, transgendered name in class, but was not allowed to use that name with parent-teacher conference. So in essence, she was, to- she was being told, I have to hide information from parents.
2: Yes. Um, when I was in high school... There was a Latin phrase called in local parentis, meaning that the churches were, or the churches, excuse me, the schools were functioning in the place of of, of parents while they were under your care. And no, Scripture is, very clearly tells us that uh, education, the instruction of our children's values, is to be from their father and mother. Deuteronomy 6 says, Teach your children this when you walk along the way, when you're sitting at home. Our children belong first and foremost to God, but then they belong to the parents. And somewhere down the line, you can loan them to an educational system or something else or even the youth group. But the primary uh, person that God holds responsible for that child's welfare is the parent, and parents must not surrender that right.
0: Mm -hmm. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest. You can learn more about Bob at 4KeepsMinistries.com. We're talking about restoring God's image in an age of gender confusion. We'll be right back.
1: Listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: So glad to have Dr. Bob Moeller as my guest, uh, helping us navigate our way through this difficult discussion. Uh It's re- talking about gender confusion, and we want to restore God's image in an age of gender confusion and i can only think bob if your 12 year old son went to school and came home that night with a gigantic dragon tattoo on his neck because that's what he wanted and the school allowed him to do it i think you'd uh, throw a large fit
2: well i think so and in many states you know uh, a child can't have an aspirin given by the school nurse without the consent to the parents, but they can be taken across state lines for abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had this, this uh, dichotomy going on for several decades. Now it's reaching down, you know, to this. And ag- again, the question goes back to the authority. Who has the authority to uh, allow children or permit or facilitate them to make these kinds of choices? Um, schools originally because they shared the same value as parents were entrusted with kids that they would uh, reinforce those values and that was true through much of our nation's history but we seem to be at something of a crossroads you know in regard to that and um, you know I, I come to Minnesota off in fact I went came the summer to go fishing again and uh, You know, when I get out of the boat onto the dock, sometimes if the boat isn't really moored uh, tightly, it starts drifting out. And, uh, you know, you're standing one foot on the boat, the other on the dock. You can only do that so long (laughs) before you have to make your decision. Mm -hmm. You know, am I going back in the boat or am I jumping onto the dock? And I think, you know, we reach that point in a culture when values become so divergent from what we believe and scriptures believe, we have to put our foot in one place or the other
3: mm-hmm. and
2: and simply decide. And if if people are going to teach our children something contrary to what has been our Judeo-Christian heritage and the values of scripture and of parents, if they are not going to honor that, then parents need to understand that and, and make some informed choices.
0: Mm-hmm. Bob, let's talk a little bit about the the response, the loving response that Christians in the Church should be focusing on for kids who are in this gender confusion.
2: Well, you know, our hope is always anchored in the Gospel. The Gospel is the power of God, it says, unto salvation. And the Gospel is God's plan uh, to rescue us from ourselves and from our fallen human nature and from the alienation of our thinking and our our natural hostility if the gospel is is the answer ultimately that jesus and his finished work on the cross can forgive our sins uh, can renew our hearts and minds can um, allow us to be filled with the holy spirit and we can live and walk in the truth in the light of his word but uh, i i think that when it comes to parents or others dealing with a child who's wrestling in this, I go back to what I said earlier. Listen to the hurt in their Mm hearts. Care about them. Bring the pain that they're experiencing to Jesus in prayer. Um, Help them identify the lies that they may have believed and replace them with the truth of God's word. Encourage them to join loving Christian fellowships beside your home, a youth group, a Bible study, where healthy relationships can flourish. Um, I think it's approaching them in a spirit of acceptance. I tell people all the time, I accept you who you are. I may not accept your behavior or choices, but I accept you. And that um, God's love for us is unconditional. He starts with where we are and he accepts us and he, he brings us into this saving relationship. Let me tell you a true story very quickly. Um, Here in the Chicago area, for a few years, I filled in as a pastor where they needed one temporarily in a neighborhood that had the highest percentage of lesbian couples of any place in Chicago. This particular neighborhood in Chicago was known for a large number of lesbian couples. And here is this church that I was pastoring that was planted in the 1800s by immigrants and had remained true to, you know, the fundamentals of the faith. Okay, so you have this church and this community. How in the world do you reach them? How do you share God's love when you're so far apart value-wise, and uh, as you understand lifestyle? Well, someone on our staff had been doing some reading and suggested to us something uh, called kindness evangelism. And what that meant is that, You go to Romans 2, 4, that the kindness of our Lord leads you to repentance. So as a church, we began to do things like um, we would go to businesses. We were in a heavily business district just a block away, and we would offer to clean their bathrooms. We'd come in with, you know, buckets, sponges, everything, and ask the owners if we could clean their their bathrooms. And they go, well, why? And we'd say, well, we want to show the love of God in a practical way. And they were somewhat stunned, but allowed us to do that. Other places we went, we handed out light bulbs. This is before LED lights that last for 30 years now. But when people need it, we'd hand out free light bulbs, go door to door, and they go, well, why are you doing this? And we go, well, we just want to show God's love in a practical way. We would stand at the corner in August in the heat and humidity and people at a stoplight and a sweltering day, and we'd hand out bottles of cold water. Um, you know, today people might be afraid we're going to hijack them, but then they'd open and take the water
3: Mm -hmm. and
2: uh, and why do you do this? The point was, Bill, is that in that community, we began to make an impact through kindness and we didn't have to alter who we were. We didn't have to compromise our values, our lifestyles. And actually there was a man who had been in a gay lifestyle for many years who was now married with children attending our church and leading a ministry. And I asked him, how did you come out of that lifestyle? And he said, well, he said, actually, a group of men in the church he was attending, it might have been ours before I got there, just started to include me in everything they did. If they went bowling, if they went out for pizza, if they had a Bible study, and they just included me and they didn't treat me as if I was different. They just treated me as if I was one of them. And over time, as those men loved me in that way, I realized one day I was like them more than like the person I used to be. And he said, that's how I came out. And, you know, Paul says that faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And at the end of the day, isn't that the answer uh, to healing the heart of a child or an adolescent or even someone who's made this tragic choice Mm -hmm. and is now struggling with it? Isn't it to love them? And isn't it to share the gospel of Christ?
0: Mm-hmm. Bob, this is such a meaty topic, uh, and you've done such a great job of navigating through it. So I know you've uh, given it a lot of thought and prayed about it, and I appreciate all the content and information you brought to us, not to mention you made a lot of sense.
2: Oh, thank you very much. And I
0: love it when you make sense. You always do. But uh, <laughs> I love your solid biblical understanding and perspective. I love that we're our goal is to be a restoring Uh, God's image in the age of gender confusion. So it was a a wonderful hour. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're most welcome. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Dr. Bob Moeller has been my guest. You can go learn more about Bob at 4keepsministries.com. That's 4-F-O-R-keepsministries.com. That's our show for the day. I've loved being with you today, and I hope that you have a beautiful night uh, enjoying it with your family spending it with the Lord. I hope you sleep well and feel refreshed in the morning because I will need you good and refreshed tomorrow because I expect you to show up at showtime tomorrow. Look forward to being with you. Have a great night. Podcasts like mine are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now.